0: ...the scripture for tonight, which is taken from Matthew 9, verses 9 through 12. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Good evening. Uh, My name is Gordon Wollers. I'm going to be spending the next three Sunday nights with you. So I thought maybe the best way to do that would be just, I'll tell you a little bit about myself, and then if you want, I'll just play 20 questions, but we won't do 20 questions. I was raised in Montana, which prepared me for the ministry I am in today. I am in the heart of San Francisco. I make the connections because men wear chaps in both places. So it all comes together for you. Growing up in Montana, I had a couple of opinions of San Francisco Bay Area. The Ninth Circuit is in San Francisco. I thought of San Francisco basically as liberal and gay. And now that I live there, I know that that is not true. It's way worse than I thought. Um... <laughs> But I find myself loving that community. I just love being in the city. I've been married 23 years. I have two teenagers that I'm raising in the city, a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old. They're going to be 18 and 16 in August. I love the public school system there. I love the public transportation there. I came there via Atlanta. That was my stop before I got to San Francisco. When I was in at Atlanta, I was there because the Evangelical Free Church asked me to plant a postmodern church. This was back when we didn't know what postmodern was, and so I said, what does that mean? And they said, we don't know, but we think you do. Go for it. So uh, I tried that. After a year, we uh, partnered with a group. Some of you may know Mosaic down in Los Angeles. We were Mosaic Atlanta. And so from there, got drawn up to First Baptist with a guy named Phil Busby, who wanted me to be their outreach pastor, which super cool. Outreach in San Francisco, you will always have work. It is said that between 2 and 6% of people go to church in San Francisco on a Sunday. So there's, there's lots to do there. So I was very excited to join staff. Um, I was very saddened three years later when my senior pastor passed away. There were plans that I would be taking his place. God didn't see uh, that working out, and so we were kind of left out. And I can remember with my wife and with my children Begging God to stay in san francisco please god don 't let us leave this beautiful city don 't let us leave this city there 's just so much that we can still do. just really had a heart for the city. just really wanted to be there. so I found this church in Dubose Park uh, Dubose Park is right on the end line it 's straight next it 's a little tiny neighborhood next to the Castro. and there 's this old church that I never saw used and I saw that they met at Thursday at 6.30 and, of course, their traditional Sunday hours, and I would knock on the door during those times, and nobody would answer the door, not even on Sunday mornings. And I just thought, okay, so no one's in this building. This will be a great place to rent. I'll just church plant again. I, that's the only thing I knew, and I thought maybe God was me that way. So I was really excited about doing that. They just never answered the door. They never answered the phone. My wife and I attended a couple Easter's ago, and we thought, if any Sunday they're going to be open, it'll be Easter. Because, like, that's a biggie. They should be open. And they were. So we went into the church service, and there were eight senior citizens. Uh, we were number 9 and 10. We were told we couldn't sit on this side of the church. We had to sit on this side. And, and we began. At the end of the service, the lady that was in charge said, are you a pastor, and would you like to be our pastor? Well, that's an easy answer. You've been praying your heart out. You've been asking God to let you stay in the city. I said, No. I was not interested. I just didn't feel like that would be the right thing, especially if you're asking me the first time you meet me. That just seems kind of creepy. And so I had said no and went with that for a while, and, but it kept going there. After the three weeks, I realized that they always locked the doors after they all got in. Nobody else was allowed to come in. They, they were scared, so they'd lock the door. So I made sure I got in when it was open, and I'd, I'd be with them. And so... My third week there, I said, Now listen, my next week, I'm not going to be here. I'm candidating for a church in Las Vegas. It's an affinity I have with your pastor, Albert. He and I've met there a couple times. So I, I, I'm going to be down there. And they said, We really want you to be our pastor. You're not understanding. I, I, I took the time to break it to them and said, I have two teenagers you've never met. You, you can't afford me. I know the cost of living in the city, I can't live here much longer. You just simply can't afford me. And then they said the golden words, we have a parsonage next door that you could live in for free. Okay, let's figure out how to do this. Well, that's probably a simple way of how I got to stay there, but God provided a way for us to stay there. So we're like missionaries, and we we raise our support, and I have free housing, which in the city, even over here, has cost a lot. Just for a couple minutes, I'll answer four questions about anything you want to know. I'll give you one free one, so then it's really five. I'm not a Giants fan. I'm a Rockies fan. So Anyway, Seth Smith helped out the other day. Any questions that I can answer? Because I'm going to be here for the next three weeks. It could be about anything. Easy crowd. Cool. All right. So one of the, my dilemmas that I bring up this Rockies thing is because my wife, I and mean, maybe this is your circumstance if you're married, or if you're not married, this could be your circumstance. She is a lot nicer than I am. She is involved with many people's lives, where I, I'm involved with the lives that she tells me to be involved with. And so on this particular day, she said, we're going to Angelie's birthday party. Angelie is a girl like this big. I have no relationship with this girl. My wife does, but I don't. This is a couple years ago, and I, like I said, I have teenagers. I survived those years. I don't need to go back. And so when she said, we're going to the birthday party, my first question is automatically, how long do I have to be there? Like, what's the minimum time requirement? And she tells me it's a minimum of two hours. Wow, that's a long time for a little kid's birthday party when you're not interested. As I went to this party, everything that I thought about a little kid's birthday party was just like that. Little kids running everywhere, parents talking about how cute their children are. Mine aren't there. They're smart enough to get away. They're teenagers. They're doing their own thing. And I am... All by myself. Because my wife likes little children. I look in the corner and there's a guy that I say, there's my soulmate. He's sitting over there with his arms crossed, looking off into the distance. He's my new best friend. I know that I'm going to like this guy because he and I have the exact same perspective on this occasion. As we visit, I recognize I'm right. He doesn't want to be there. He promised his wife an hour and a half. And he's only 10 minutes into it, and so we start talking. We talk about hunting, baseball, football, nothing about little kids. It is fantastic. I don't mention that I'm a Rockies fan, and I say that because as he's getting ready to go, he said, this turned out to be one of the best little kids' birthday parties I've ever gone to. Are you going to go to all the little kids' birthday parties? No, I'm not, I said. That is not in my intention at all. He said, well, good, I wasn't intending to either, but I I figured at least I would know if you're going to be there. As you get ready to go, I say, My name is Gordon. He says, My name is Bruce. They call me Boach. I said, You're Bruce Boachy. I have so many questions for you. Well, they wouldn't have been good questions, and he excused himself right away. Today in the text, Matthew doesn't miss that opportunity. He would have known who Bruce Boachy was. He would have known, and he was on top of it. Let's see what God might say to us today in Matthew. God, I'm so thankful that you preserved his words for us. Thank you that. We can look at them after all these years and say, thank you for giving us these words. So tonight as we look into the word, I pray that my words are not remembered, but yours are. Those things that you're whispering to our heart would be remembered and not mine. And those things that you want us to act on wouldn't be guilt trips or manipulations that I would come up with, but would be promptings of the Holy Spirit as you engage us to engage the world. Thank you so much for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm a big movie buff. I can't talk about the movies that I like because it wouldn't be appropriate on a Sunday. They're not that kind. I just like dark movies. I just like dark David Lynch type movies. But one of the movies I liked a lot was Vantage Point. It came out in 2008. And if you remember it, it was an assassination of the president. And then they'd show it for about 40 minutes. And then you showed another viewpoint of it, and another viewpoint of it, So you got the whole story. That's what we're going to do in the next three weeks. So if you want to, next week, if you want to know what I'm speaking on, it'll be the calling of Matthew as found in Mark, chapter 2. The week after that will be the calling of Matthew in Luke, chapter 5. We will be looking at these three perspectives, and at the end of our three weeks, we'll have a pretty good idea of what Matthew's calling out was. Here, we're going to look at his own words. I'm going to be reading Matthew 9. Madeline read it to us, and it says, As Jesus passed on there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Again, he wasn't some stupid guy, very naive, that was sitting down at a birthday party that didn't know who Bruce Bochy, the manager of the Giants, was when he was sitting right next to him talking baseball for an hour and 20 minutes. Only I could be that ridiculous. He probably knew. In fact, if you look through Matthew, as you read it, we've already gone through the Sermon on the Mount, and Matthew recorded those words for us, right? So we know he probably heard that. It says that Jesus passed there, he saw a man, Matthew, sitting on the tax booth. He said, Him, follow me. He rose and followed him. The question for tonight, the first question is Are you ready now to follow Jesus? He's walking by. And he's saying, Will you join me on this mission of reaching Oakland? Diamond neighborhood? Lake Merritt neighborhood? San Francisco Bay Area? Will you join me? Oh no, wait, you're still sitting. Never mind. I'm still walking. In Genesis, we have this idea that the Spirit was moving over the waters. God, the triune God, is constantly moving. And Missio Dei tells us. Familiar with this word? Missio Dei, two Latin words put together, the missionary God. So the Father sent His Son. The Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. The three of them send us. He's always moving, always moving. Problem is, with us, are we moving? Matthew recognized right away that he needed to get up and move. Jesus was passing by. Jesus, maybe he pauses just for a minute, maybe he doesn't, but he says, follow me. Have you ever had those moments in your life where you felt prompted to do something, and you didn't act on it, and it was gone? I live my life from regret to regret usually, thinking, oh, I woulda, coulda, shoulda. Oh, I, I, I wish I had that moment back. That was a perfect moment for me to be able to do this, to do that. I live in a neighborhood that is very small, very concise, very closely knitted together. And I have a couple opportunities every now and then, and if I don't take advantage of them, it's not that they would miss God, I would miss getting to be God for them, to be Christ with legs. I'm sure he could do it other ways, and I'm sure he will. But I would miss those opportunities I live in a neighborhood that I'm ill-equipped for. I feel so overwhelmed. We don't have to talk too much politics, but they're not interested in politics at all because they're furious right now with President Obama. He's way too conservative for my neighborhood. Way too conservative. (laughs) I'm not equipped to do that. I went to a party a couple of weeks ago at my neighbor's house. He's the type of guy that will say, I have 24 people coming to my party because that's the optimum number of people. He thinks through everything. You go to his house, you will be treated incredibly. He just lives around the corner from me. And I can remember the first time I went to his party, I was overwhelmed by the drinks, the food, the dessert, the everything. I was like, wow, Mark, this is just incredible. How much would you say he spent on this? He said, oh, between 700 and 800. I don't know what your economy is like. <laughs> that's really hard for me to imagine. I don't spend that on groceries probably for a family of four. His next words were worse when he said, hey, next month can you do this at your place? <laughs> well, I don't know, Mark, you know, that's going to be tough. I think that sometimes we get intimidated Because we think that God is calling us to do things we can't do. I can't do that, God. I'm not that liberal. I can't do that, God. I don't have that much money in my food for party account. And we say, why are you asking me to do these things? Can't you ask me to do the things that I want to do? What would that be, Gordon? I don't know. Take an afternoon nap. Call me to that. I'm good. We want to be called to things that we're comfortable with. Matthew was comfortable with counting change, collecting taxes. When Jesus says, follow me, do you think his imagination said, oh, Jesus wants to charge taxes, and he's asking me for help? No, he probably didn't because he heard the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew was able to respond in a way that maybe we find hard. Living in San Francisco, you always have to know the gay answer. I have a church right there on the corner of Debosa and Noe. I'm five blocks from the big flag, for goodness sake. Neighbors want to know what my opinion is. I don't think for good reasons. They want to know if I'll marry them. They want to know would I marry them if I could. They want to know if I think it's all right being gay. I first came to San Francisco, like I said, through First Baptist as an outreach pastor. I think what I saw there, and I don't mean to... Shame on them, they're they're the typical church. I came in there, my first week, I came for Pride Week, my first week in San Francisco. As I came downstairs on a Wednesday, they had a big fellowship hall, it's about this size, and right down the middle was this large curtain. On one side, the congregation was eating, and on the other side, there were people from the Tenderloin, you guys know the Tenderloin neighborhood? Yeah, you imagine who eats there, right? Okay, so it's our SRO friends, our, our hungry friends, and they're eating there. And I thought it was odd that there was a curtain between the two, but what do I know? I'm the new guy, and I say to the person that I assume is in charge, hey, what's the deal here? What's going on here? Oh, welcome to Pride Week. During Pride Week, it's our prayer walking week, and we always take every day, and we eat as a congregation, then we go prayer walk. And today, these people, they're finishing their meal, and then they're going to go prayer walk. What you see on this side of the curtain are the people from the Tenderloin, and we feed them every Wednesday. Okay. Who are these people going to see tonight? Want to guess? The Tenderloin people, wait a minute, they're there, they're there. Hey, let's move the curtain and let they could eat together and pray. Oh, no, 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 we don't do that. Matthew understood that there couldn't be this weird double life. You can't say, oh, I love Jesus and not follow him. He understood if he had a moment, he would get up and follow. He did. Followed right away. He didn't wait for Jesus to get halfway around the corner. He didn't wait for Jesus to go do his next miracle. He said he immediately got up and followed him. It's really cool because the positions are Jesus standing, he's sitting, he's getting up and going. He understands, he's excited. As Jesus reclined the table in his house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. First we have Matthew reclining, now we have Jesus reclining. He's reclining in Matthew's house. Matthew's throwing a party with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus is very comfortable here. There are two types of Christians in the world. One Christian says, I wish, I wish, I wish that Jesus had turned the wine into water. There are those types of Christians that say, I wish, I wish, I wish that instead of eating with sinners and tax collectors, he would have condemned them. Doesn't he know? I mean, this is what the Pharisees are asking. How can he do this? If we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, it seems like the big theme there was, you Pharisees, you're hypocrites. Well, isn't Jesus being a hypocrite? You're not with your people. You're eating with sinners. It could rub off on you. I grew up in a town in Montana. It was the middle town. My dad was a pastor. So every five years we moved, whether we wanted to or not, we just did. It was like military that way. And my second town that we moved to, the variety, people all over Montana, the, all the different varies, I always say you could tell because we had people with blue eyes, we had people with brown eyes, we had people with green eyes, but we're all lily white. Occasionally you'd have a Latino, occasionally a Native American. Yeah, That'd be about it. There wasn't. So in the second town, there was a, a Native American, Tanya. Man, she was cute. I, what do I know? I was in second grade. She was cute. But we played Tucker Fleas. Her last name was Tucker. And it's not that Tanya Tucker. She was Tanya Tucker. I don't know. Don't get it. But she was not lily white like the rest of us. And so what you did is you crossed your fingers and you touched the other person and said, Tucker, please. I was always hurt by this. I thought she was the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen. But you know what I did on the schoolyard, right? Tucker, please. That's kind of how we are with sinners and tax collectors. We understand who they are but we don't want them to infect us. Jesus didn't care. Living in a city like San Francisco, one of the things I realized, again, being a First Baptist, okay, so I knew that that was wrong. I knew that was wrong, and we made ways to fix that problem. The next problem that I saw when I first came to town was First Baptist is that church that's right off 101 behind the LGBT center. Right? That's where I worked. How do you not do anything with the gay community if that's where you are? Now, again, this is what I always had to say at First Baptist. It's not that I feel like I've been called to gay people. I'm called to San Francisco. And guess what? That's who's here. Especially First Baptist. That's where they were. Jesus didn't probably say, I am here for the tax collectors. In fact, in Luke, he gives to who's he for? The blind, the deaf, the, the prisoners, the captives, and setting them free. Does he say anything about tax collectors? No. Then why is he with them? Are you willing to get your hands dirty, or your reputation a little dirty by sitting with the wrong people, interacting with the wrong kind of people? The question isn't is Matthew. Matthew is one of them. Jesus is, though. Bono's quote that maybe you've heard is, where would you find Jesus today? In a gay bar in San Francisco is his answer. My mom and dad don't like that answer. My mom and dad raised me to believe public school is the greatest thing ever. My mom was a teacher for 32 years. And so when we moved to San Francisco, I was happy to kind of dig in a little bit and say, I'm really excited about the public school system. My parents are the type of parents, maybe you know them, that think O'Reilly's should be running for president, that kind of thing. Fox News Network is the network of choice, whatever. That's who they are. So when we moved there, their first thing was, we would love to pay for any education your children need. I don't understand the question. Public education is free, Mom. No, what I mean is, we don't want them in public education. Anywhere you want them to go, it will be paid for, in full. No, public education is free, Mom. It was with great delight that first year that I was able to say, Hey, Kezia needs some help with her homework. Could, you, could I put her on the phone and you could kind of walk her through some stuff, Dad? Sure, I suppose. My daughter was stuck on what did Paul do for his second missionary journey. That's what she was learning in the public school in San Francisco. Hmm. Not what they thought, huh? Now, I didn't tell them that next semester was Muhammad's missionary trips, but the point was that they, she was stuck on Paul's second missionary journey. Jesus, right here, when he's with tax collectors, seems quite at home because he's reclining. Are you quite at home? with non-Christian friends. You have some ambitious goals when I see what your outreach wants to do. You have ambitious goals when it comes to reaching the world and, and doing different things and going to the marginalized. But are you willing to sit with them and eat with them? Hang out with them? That's the question. Are you willing to go to a gay barber who plays with your ears and blows in your ears and try to share Christ with them? You don't have to do that. That's my neighborhood. Jesus is saying... He's there, and the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. We've really kind of shown the condition of our soul, haven't we? This has a double meaning. One meaning is, yes, absolutely, he's saying, I've come for these people that are sick. The second meaning is, but you want me to be with you. What does that say about you? It's one of those moments where we have to pause and think pretty soberly of how we spend our time. I was telling Leanne the other day, the things we do for love should be the the battle anthem of all Christians. I'm actually tired of going to parties. The conversations I have, the things that we talk about, and the weird conversations you have. We had a s'mores party, that's how I got around spending seven hundred and fifty dollars on food. We had a gourmet s'more party. It sounds clever enough and it seems clever enough that we got away with it and that neighbor donated a couple cases of wine, so it seemed pretty cool and we went for it. As I'm having this gourmet s'more party, one of my neighbors, he's a gay guy trying to go straight, but he just can't make it work, so he back and forth brought his third wife and she says I understand that you're the minister of this church I live like next door to the church yes what do you do like on Sunday so what do you mean what do I do like what do you do I'm not sure what you mean she said I've never stepped foot into a building for a funeral for a wedding for anything I have no idea what you do for a living oh kind of gave her the little Mickey Mouse tour of the facility, so very fascinating. You have books that just have songs in them that people can sing, and they do? That's clever. Never thought of that. And so you talk up there for 20, 30 minutes, 40, whatever, you talk up there, and people listen to you. Sure. What do you talk about? Well, I talk about Jesus. You're like, what do you talk about? I said, well, it's called a sermon, and... Would you like to hear one? This is how I'm going to invite her to church the next day, because it's like 1 o'clock Saturday morning. And she says, yes, I would very much like to hear one. Can you give it to me now? (laughs) Sure. Uh, Okay, so it's going to be kind of awkward, because I'm going to talk for like the next 20, 25 minutes, and you're going to sit there and listen, not fall asleep, occasionally nod your head yes, and maybe a reflective hmm. And are you comfortable with that? Yeah, I've never heard a sermon. That sounds great. I'd like to do that. Okay. I took the next 20, 25 minutes. I did my sermon, which is really weird because I never do the same sermon twice. I, the sermon I did this morning has nothing to do with what we're talking about here because I get bored hearing myself talk, so it has to be new. And so I gave it to her, and she said, That's a sermon, yeah? Well, why aren't churches bad? That's great. That's exciting stuff. I said, So I'll see you tomorrow? Oh, no, no, no. Well, she probably has the heart of a Christian then, doesn't she? I know this stuff. Now that I know it, I don't need to go. I mean, let's not get carried away on this thing. Jesus understood that discipleship and church can happen sitting down and meeting with people. I have a small church. I don't know how it's going to grow. It's a revitalization project. We're growing so slowly. I can't imagine in my mind, I really can't, my neighbors coming to church a couple of them head, and, and they bounce out so fast because they like, I remember 1962 Christianity, that's what it was, thank you, okay, pass. They're not interested. And so I have to take these moments, and these give me great hope, saying I can have teaching moments during these parties. And so I kind of have a little scorecard that I say, okay, so-and-so, this is what lesson I've given them, this is what lesson I've given them, this is what lesson I've given them. And one of the biggest things happened. This Mark guy that I've talked about, he said, um, I've got to talk to you. I came from the hospital, and they found a growth behind my eye. And I didn't know how to handle it. I burst into tears. I was devastated. I was so emotionally distraught that they said, we're going to send you down to a counselor on the first floor. You need some help. He went down there as they were talking to the counselor. The counselor said, is there anybody that you can talk about? Life and death. With, I said, "Yeah, my neighbor Gordon. I could talk to him." And, as Mark would say, that's why I'm here to talk to you now. Said, "So I have this growth behind my eye. They, they think it's cancerous. I'm freaking out. I think it is. I'm just not ready for this." What do you want to talk about? I said, "Well, let's talk about life and death, and kind of walk through that with him." talked about Christ, the finished work on the cross, which was amazing. He had never heard that story before. At the end, he never received Christ. He never said, oh, totally subscribe to all your teachings. I'll see you Sunday. He didn't even tell me that he was relieved. He thanked me for his time, as he always does. We spent time together and went on his way. A couple weeks later, when the test results came back, it was benign. And he called me up from the hospital and said, it's Benign. I know it's because of the prayers that you gave. I don't know how I know that, but I know that. I serve on a couple neighborhood boards. It's just something that you do. And every board meeting that we were together, he took time and said, hey, I just want to give a little weird notice here that my eye, because it's just solely black and blue. They had to take it out and everything. He said, it was benign, and it was benign because Gordon and his church prayed that it would be benign. That's pretty cool. That's a win. That's a win for the kingdom. Plodding along. Jesus, I'm sure, was a much better evangelist than I am. But he finds himself with tax collectors and sinners and says, those that have no physician need me. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. He still calls out sinners today. He's calling them. There are sinners in your life. And let's say sinners here mean those that aren't following Christ or subscribe to his teaching. They are there. You work with them. You play with them. They live in your neighborhood. They're doing things all around you. And they're being called by Jesus himself waiting for you to put the words to it. Waiting for you to put the actions to it. Waiting for you to put the feet to it. He's calling them. He's calling them. Would you today make a commitment to be those feet? Tom Clegg, get a chance to read some Tom Clegg, you should, but he has a great saying. He's a Christian guy and he says you should never own something you can borrow from a neighbor because that will start your relationship. In fact, when he's moved to different places in life, he has sold certain things so that he doesn't have them. He's also purchased certain things so that he can have them. When you think about your life and you're taking stock of what you do throughout the week, are you giving time to be the voice of Jesus for others. There's a part of us that just wants to be with our family. I get that. I'm a recluse kind of guy. I like just being with my family. There's part of us that just wants to be in our Christian community. I just really want to be encouraged with by my brothers and sisters. I get that too. It's good to have encouragement. But where we fall short is when we're challenged to be the feet, the voice, and legs of Jesus. As we're taking communion tonight, He set up this thing where he he had bread and wine on the last meal. And he said, do this every time you remember me. I have a friend named Mike who always talks about, it's funny that he chose the bread and the wine because that was every meal for them back then. And he's saying, every time you get together, I want you to remember these things. I want you to remember what I've done. This time as you're taking the elements, maybe pause and say, I'm committed this week to be a little more like Jesus, to say something to somebody, to invite them to a meal. I don't care what the reputation I get for it. I don't care if it costs me little points. It's worth it because Jesus would do that. He came for the sinners, not the righteous. As righteous, we should be calling the sinners, not the righteous. Thanks for your time.